The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Heavenly Father, we have been in a position before you of prayer, worshiping you in song, and God, now we, we open your word together and ask that you would lead us through what is just this well-known passage in our Bibles, one of these covenant passages that is so frequently referenced by the New Testament authors, which is in its own right just a, a blessing to us. And we pray that that would be the case today, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would use Genesis 15 and the passage that is before us in a manner that is most helpful for building us up and strengthening us in a time when doubt and fear are very much present. And we see how you overcame those by conversing with Abram. So Lord, converse with us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. We're looking right now, all of us have been looking at the life of Abram, whose name here in a few weeks is going to get a reboot. He's going to become Abraham. But currently, we are focused on this man, Abram, in the book of Genesis. And by seeing what God is doing with Abram, we're getting to learn a lot more about God as well, the almighty God, the gracious nature of God. In this world, at this current time, we are facing many uncertainties, similar to what plagued Abram. Last week in Genesis, we learned about the banding together of kings, a bunch of kings that swept through and rebellions, and they really just wreaked havoc upon the land. And in that, Abram had to go after these kings and pursue the captors of his nephew Lot. In the uncertainties of our current day, we, we see many similarities, many parallels. Uh, if, if you're watching any of the news feeds, they just keep pouring in more information. And currently, like the Taliban is just sweeping across Afghanistan. There's that, that, that war-torn nation that we've fought long and hard for, and there's sweeping across the nation of Afghanistan. There's wildfires. We, we already mentioned that. There's smoke hanging in the air that will not let us forget that wildfires are very much a part of our lives right now and, and wrecking much in the way of life, property, and so forth. Tropical storms, earthquakes, all are on the news. Even I saw volcanoes earlier today up in Alaska. And floods. And every couple days, more is added to this. So just adding to the uncertainties of the time. And then, of course, we know the borders of our land are very porous. And that, again, just degrades on, on our stability. There's, there's uncertainties everywhere we look. And then you, you take a look at how our lives are being lived, and you realize, well, now my dollar doesn't go as far either. It lends itself to some uncertainties even in how we can pay our bills. And then, of course, we are all aware of changes in our school system and how all of a sudden now just the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic are being taken away uh, as standards because no longer should they be used because of some of the, the current ideologies that are instead taking their place. So just like in Abram's time, we, we even see Cities, like Sodom was a city that was near Abram, would have normally been maybe a place of prosperity, 
but we know that in Sodom were men who were opposed to God, who were great sinners against God. And sadly, we see many of our iconic cities becoming much the same way, where instead of these cultural havens where we can go and we can partake in commerce or take in something that is edifying for society, like a a cultural event such as a, a ball game or some kind of a symphony or an orchestra, instead they hit the headlines now with, Uh, degradation, crime sprees, and social uh, revamping of all kinds. So no longer are they a place for vibrance of life or a place for human flourishing, but again, just a a bringing down and, and more uncertainties. And all this adding together is just a distressing picture, to say the least. And even if you're here today as a Christian, which as I look out and I I see who's here, I know that's the case for the majority. I'm sure you hear these things and you're challenged as I am. I know you're challenged and you you are starting to have some doubts even because these are the conversations we've been having together. These are the same struggles that I've been having myself. And this tends to leave us trying to determine who we really belong to. We belong here to this world that is in a state of uncertainty? Or do we belong to God, which we know we've been walking in and, and firmly planted in, and yet times of uncertainty do lend themselves to, to doubt, to fear? And that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for this to be the case. And we need to be careful. And in this passage today, we're going to see how Even in times of uncertainty and doubt and fear, our good God comes alongside Abram and is able to meet Abram right where he's at and for Abram to be credited with faith and belief in God. This is where we are today. And this passage really is is a a spotlight, if you will. There's a, a shining on of light in the darkness by what God is able to do with Abram. For we get to see what Abram, Abram does when he's in this same similar type of place of much in the way of uncertainty and not sure what, what to do. He converses with God. We see that very plainly. He converses with God for his desire is for us and our belief in him will yield a righteous reward. And it most certainly did for Abram. And together, then, that is my hope, is as we look at what God does with Abram, that we would similarly see how as we converse with God and that his desire is for us, that we develop a faithful response. We're able to develop a faithful response as we walk in the promises that Abram did and that we can reap the reward of a belief, of a faith in the one true God. So we'll start out with by Looking at our first point, which is converse with God. Converse with God. To begin with conversing with God, we have to understand, friends, that he wants to and he longs for a conversation with you. He longs for a conversation with me. He is a personable God. Just look at how verse 1 begins in our text. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The Lord initiates this conversation. The Lord initiates this conversation with his servant Abram. He comes to him in a vision. He says, fear not, And do we remember what's going on in the life of Abram right now? I mean, let me remind you, he just had this great victory, this running battle where he he tracks down these these kings, these men, these armies that had ravaged the place and even captured much in the way of people and personnel, including his nephew Lot. And he's able to recover that. This is a great victory. And in order to celebrate the victory, God introduces Abram to this Amazing king, King Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Melchizedek, the the king of righteousness, who is also a priest of God Most High. 
This is happening just in the recent background, because as we start, it says before, or just after these things, God initiates this conversation. So why the fear not? What's going on that we are maybe not privy to? Well, the Lord knows his own. He knows Abram. He knows where Abram's at, just as he knows you and I, beloved. He knows us better than maybe what our outward appearance may even show. He knows us on the inside. And no matter what kind of a high we may be coming off of, it might be a great spiritual high. Think of when I was a youngster going to uh, camps, Christian camps. A lot of times those were great spiritual highs in the summer. But then you'd come down off of that when you'd come back home and realize, oh, it's still my family. It's still my normal church or I have school just around the corner. But God meets us right where we are. And trusting in God through it all, we, just like Abram, can be prone to doubt. Trying to trust, but then plagued with doubts. We can be prone to entertain fearful thoughts. So let me give you another picture of maybe where Abram's at. So here he is. He's, he's relishing in this victory, and everyone's slapping him on the back. There's uh, Melchizedek blessing him. But then there's also the reality of, I just took 318 of my trained men against these kings, and yes, there was a great victory, but now what? There's probably going to be some retaliation. Am I going to have to fight like this all the time in this land? Because it's my hide now that's on the line. These kings are going to be coming after me. We don't see that in the text, but I mean, what else is he probably thinking about? We don't know. We do know some things, though, because as soon as this conversation starts, something does come forth, and we'll cover that in a moment. But it's very similar in my mind to the prophet Elijah. He had this great victory. If you remember back to 1 Kings 18 and 19 on Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel, you got all these prophets of Baal. And very clearly, the hand of the Lord is there. So much so that fire from heaven falls down and consumes the offering that was doused with water. But right on the heels of that, this great victory, Jezebel stands up in opposition to Elijah, and he's scared, and he runs for his life. Doubts and fears are not uncommon for those who walk with the Lord. And we can be prone to fear as well. Doubt really seems to be lurking in our minds all the time. Simple things, such as, am I schooling my children rightly? Am I making the right decision with what I'm doing with my kids' education? I just don't know. Or should I take a stand at work over this issue or that, even if it costs me my livelihood? Does God really want me to invest in my marriage? It seems so one-sided right now. You may identify with one of these, or you may have one of your own areas of doubt, but you're not alone. Each and every believer has an area where they're prone to some doubt, some anxiety, and it happens throughout the Christian walk. We all suffer from doubt in this life. Not all at the same time, praise be to God, because we come alongside one another as we struggle and we help one another. But we can be encouraged from what we see in the text because what we see in the text is that God is not dissuaded from engaging with Abram even at a place where he's in doubt, where he has fear. God starts out with fear not. This is not too much for the Lord. Instead, he's present and he's engaging. He'll even often initiate the conversation as he does with Abram. You know what our duty is? To converse with him. He wants us to converse with him. He doesn't want us to turn away from that engagement. He's not too big. He's not too busy. He's not too powerful to hear from you. And this is what he does for Abram, even assuring him that the victory he just had was indeed because of the Lord's involvement. He was Abram's shield, is what it says. Abram's shield. And even without spoil, even with giving a tenth away, the Lord is his great reward. In verse 1. This is our God. 
church. The God of Abram is our same God. He knows us. He knows our heart. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. And he wants to converse with us. He wants to converse with us in prayer. He wants to converse with us as we meditate upon his word. He wants to converse with us through the engagement with the preaching that goes on here. And the resourcefulness of the Lord is not limited. He's not limited by what we might even think of. Well, this is how God's going to engage me. You know, just to, to throw a few out there, I mean, Balaam's donkey, the fish that swallows Jonah, or let alone the plant that grows up over Jonah. God can get our attention when he wants to get our attention. We just need to converse with him. He's not bothered by us being in a place of doubt or fear. And this is what Abram does. He engages with the Lord. Plainly, he tells the Lord in the next two verses what is truly bothering him. In verses two and three, after the Lord initiates this conversation, Abram says, but, uh, O Lord, what will you give me? I continue, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my, ho- a member of my household will be my heir. So here we are. He's just had this phenomenal running battle all across the land of, of what will eventually become known as Israel, ended in great victory, received a blessing bestowed upon him from Melchizedek, and yet what is he thinking about? What is Abram thinking about? I have no child. I have no heir. Abram, which means exalted father, he's getting older. His wife is getting older. And this, in and of itself, is not a bad thing, but it does pose some problems when you're childless. So God has made him a promise to be a great nation. And what's on Abram's mind? I have no kids. I don't even have one. There's no heir. And so through adoption, I'm going to have to take this member of my household and he's going to become my heir. And life is so often like this. So often like this. Others may be looking in and saying, bravo, job well done, you're doing great. You know, some achievement. I mean, for a student, it could be an academic achievement or at work, maybe we've produced something well for our employer and we're getting some accolades there. Or for us as parents, we're seeing our kids excel. And those looking in from the outside are saying, you guys are killing it. You're doing great. But that's not what we're thinking about on the inside. Instead, on the inside, we're thinking something much more base, like, I'm afraid I can't fill in the blank. Your doubt might be somewhere completely different from what you're able to accomplish. Because oftentimes, it's not where our strength is that we're fearful. It's where our weakness is. Or you might be thinking, I'm going to lose. Again, fill in the blank. Whatever it is you're afraid you might lose. Maybe it's your name or your reputation or a child. Maybe that's something that's fearful for you. But this, church, these things are what God wants you to bring to him in prayer. What God wants you to converse with him about. It's not the victories It's your fears and your doubts, the ones that you hold close, that you're afraid to let go of. That's where you need to be conversing with the Lord, to seek what his word has to say about such things. And all through this chapter, we see that that's what's happening. There's this back and forth between God Almighty and Abram. Back and forth, this conversation is happening Abram is this wandering man who has amassed much in the way of earthly possessions, but he has no way of preserving his family line. He can't do anything about that. He's anxious about who his heir will be. And this is exactly where God meets him. 
saying in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, that is Eliezer of Damascus, this man shall not be your heir. God says instead, your very own son shall be your heir. God answers Abram exactly where he is struggling. And it seems very plain. You could almost say, thus saith the Lord, this man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And church, recognize that as unbreakable as this word is, as it is spoken by God, the Lord does more. So he speaks this unbreakable word because God speaks it, but then he does more because that's what Abram needs. Abram needs even more than the very plain and clear word of God. You might be thinking, well, what more could you need besides God speaking to you? Well, we actually need communication that we can receive and understand and then claim as trustworthy. And sometimes mere words don't do that. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit more, and God does that for Abram. And we can trust that God will do the very much the same for us. We can trust God's promises. We sang a song about that leading up to the time of preaching, standing on the promises of God, which is where our focus is going to shift to next. All through the passage, this conversation is going to continue. But now these promises are going to start to come into effect. And our next point is trust God's promises, picking up in verse 5 and 6. And this specific method of engaging Abram was what, what, what he needed. He needed a little bit more to believe God. So what does God do? He takes this previous moon worshiper, this man who used to probably spend a lot of time gazing up at the night sky before called out of the land of Ur, And God takes him outside at nighttime. And he says, I want you to look up into the heavens, into that familiar night sky that you used to look up into, falsely worshiping a moon god. And I want you to look at the stars. Verse 5 says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So if you can number these stars, Abram, then now you can picture what I'm going to do with your family, with your offspring, which are going to come from your own son, from you. See, God knows Abram, and he engages him in a way that is most impactful for Abram. So let me ask, what would it be for you? How would God engage you in the most impactful way? What specific method would God use to engage you? Do you have an area of doubt? Something that's plaguing you, that's causing you to be fearful? Something you're anxious about? Something that you've currently been conversing with the Lord over? In that space... How can the Lord engage you similar to what he did with Abram? Maybe you've had an experience like this in the past. One simple one that I came up with was when I was young, maybe eight years old. My mom had taken myself, my brothers, my sister, and at least one cousin out to the Oregon coast. And a typical Oregon coast type of day, overcast, cool. I was in my normal get-up which is what I wear to this day, by the way, head-to-toe camouflage. And somewhere out there, I lost my hat, my camouflage hat, in the sand dunes, plain. And my, God, uh, my, my mom, she said, we can go before God with this. We can pray to God about trying to find your hat. So we circled up and we prayed, and God answered that prayer. It was simple but profound for young believers to see that God answered prayer. Then, not too long after that, we were getting ready to leave, and my cousin, who had a little pocket knife with him that his mom told him he shouldn't bring 
wasn't supposed to have because he might lose it. He lost his little pocket knife out in the sand. We knew what to do, right? Circled up, we prayed, and within a few seconds of that prayer ending, simple but profound, God answered the prayer. And we recovered the knife within, like I said, seconds of the prayer concluding. Simple but profound, but building our faith. But what would it be for you, do you think? Or what has it been? How can you look back on those moments in your life and say, yes, God has been trustworthy. He has proven himself worthy. Or how would he engage you today in one of those areas of fear or doubt or anxiety? Trust that he's ready to converse with you at that very point. And pray accordingly. For Abram, it was not It was not earthward and in a sea of sand, like for me, but God told him to look skyward into the expanse of the night sky and showed him in a manner that he could plainly understand. And from this, we get this treasured verse in our Bibles, verse 6, of what Abram does. In verse 6, it says, and he believed the Lord. And he, being God, counted it to him, being Abram, as righteousness. This is what happens. God met Abram exactly where he was. He told him what was going to happen. And then he took him outside and showed him in a way that was most impactful for Abram. And we read, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's what God wants to do with each and every one of us. He wants to meet us in such a place where we say, I believe in you, God. I trust you, Lord. It's at the center, it's at the core of our Christianity. God told Abram what would happen. And then he showed him in a manner that was acceptable, that that Abram could receive. And that's what did it. That's what changed everything. It wasn't just the words It was that extra little bit that that God took Abram outside and said, just look at the expanse in the sky, Abram. Count the stars if you're able. And his response was belief. His response was belief in the Lord. And then notice that it's the Lord that takes action. So Abram believes God takes the action and he credits Abram with righteousness. Abram believes, God takes the action, credits Abram with righteousness. It's amazing. Abram didn't necessarily do anything. Though he had, you know, by leaving Ur, by leaving Haran, by some of the various other acts he'd done, by going after his nephew Lot, he demonstrated some faithfulness. And he's going to do more as we continue to work through the chapters in Genesis But in this passage right here, the Lord deems him righteous based on his belief in the Lord. Like I said, so central, so much at the core of who we are as Christians. One commentary I was studying in preparation for preaching today had it this way, quote, here first, the full importance of faith comes into view. Here also, first, the reckoning of righteousness corresponding therewith. From this point onward, both fundamental thoughts run through the Holy Scriptures. The future of the evangelical church was prepared on that night. It was one peculiar, blooming hour of salvation by faith. End quote. I had to read that multiple times because there was two firsts in there and I didn't understand why there wasn't a second, but it's two firsts because there's this reckoning, faith and righteousness, and there's a corresponding link. They're both required. By faith comes righteousness. They're linked because God linked them together. And as this commentator stated, this couplet runs through the scriptures. And I'd encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4 to see how this gets developed by Paul in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4, 
the linking together of faith and righteousness, we find in verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then if you continue further down in chapter 4, pick up in verse 23, if you're there. We read these couple of verses. It says, but the, word, the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Faith and righteousness working itself out. And dear friends, this is where we as believers continue to return to time and time again to our faith in Jesus Christ. For the gospel, the good news is that though we have nothing of value to bring, no matter how good or how bad we think we are, we have nothing of value to bring to the Lord. It is the perfection of our Savior that we rely upon. It's the perfection of Jesus Christ that we need. And we, like Abram, need only to believe in the work that he did, that Christ did. Christ suffered and died. He went to the cross for us. And our belief in him is likewise credited to us as righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It's given to us something we could never do. Only Christ could. And we are made right before God based on what Christ has done. Again, we could never do it. And to think otherwise is to deny God's good working in our lives. His good gift We cannot have eternal life apart from what God has done for us through the Lord. We have nothing to stand on other than the blood of Christ. If you're still in Romans, flip over to chapter 10, verses 8 through 13 in chapter 10. We read, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what it means to trust in the promises of God. We converse with him, and he communicates with us. He meets us where we are with that communication in such a way that we can respond to the Lord. He's so gracious. And the remainder of the passage is a good reminder that though we believe, though we respond to God in faith, we, like Abram, don't have a whole lot more to do when God is at work. We watch and watch God take the lead. That's our last point we're going to cover in the text, is watching God take the lead. And I absolutely love how this passage unfolds. The, the conversation doesn't stop. It's continued throughout, and it will continue to the end. The conversation doesn't stop when we get to the place where Abram believes the Lord. God continues to give him more. 
God continues to build him up where he is at and to his promised offspring. It may not really jump out of the page at us as we look at this back and forth, but what we see next is what's deemed a preamble to a covenant. In the days of Abram, a sovereign ruler would make a covenant with a subordinate. There'd be this, the sovereign over the subordinate, and the way this would begin, or th- this arrangement was very binding, but the sovereign was known as the suzerain, and as a suzerain-basal treaty, very common in the, the day that Abram lived to have a suzerain-basal treaty, and that's what unfolds before us. And the way the preamble goes in verse 7, and he said to him, this is the Lord speaking, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And you might think, okay, what's that have to do with anything? But this is the preamble to this covenant. It's God saying, look what I've done, Abram. Look what I've done for you. It's because of who I am that you've been able to do these things. And because of who I am, more will take place. This is the beginning of the covenant language. And Abram knows that because this is familiar to Abram. So again, God is communicating in a way that is helpful for Abram. And it's helpful for us as we study back into ancient history and say, oh, this is exactly what God's doing. He's communicating in such a way that we can understand the methodology, that this is language that is common, is understandable. And this is how it begins. The superior in the relationship states what he has done and then goes on to why the treaty should be binding. And this is the preamble that we just read about. And then the subordinate, in this case, being Abram, can respond to what the sovereign has said. In verse 8, we get that response. He says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So Abram, speaking from the subordinate position to the sovereign, again, beginning this covenant language, how am I to know? And you see this back and forth. If you're looking at this through the lens of this covenant is getting started, you realize, oh, it's, it's this back and forth. It's the, it's, it's the negotiation, if you will, but it's very formalized. And that's what's playing out before us here in the text, back and forth aspect of setting up the covenant. And this was understood, understood by both parties. And God is a good communicator because he uses this to connect with Abram. He's so gracious in, in dealing with him in this way. And like I mentioned earlier, God has already said what he's going to do. And to us, we might think, well, that should be good enough. He said it. God said it. He's going to do it. But he gives more. And he does so in a way that can be understood better and so that we can understand the covenant and the binding nature of it. Grace upon grace continues to be revealed about God as we study the book of Genesis. This is one more aspect of that that grace that we see from God, his his willingness to engage with people, engage with Abram, back and forth, as I mentioned. We're learning more about this creator God. In verse 9, God says, all right, Abram, go ahead and get the elements for the covenant. We understand what's going on here. Go ahead and collect the animals because we're going to have the covenant ceremony. And take the animals, slaughter them, arrange them for the ceremony. And in verse 10, we see that's exactly what Abram does. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So each carcass is arranged. So one half meets its match on the other. And then down the middle is a wide enough pathway for the members that are going to go through the covenant ceremony together to walk. So you can picture this aisleway, if you will. And you might think, well, Nathan, you've been telling me about this treaty. Uh, It's also mentioned in Jeremiah 34, verses 18 and 19. Jeremiah writes about the significance of the arrangement. He says, And the men who transgressed my covenant, 
and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in half, in two, and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. So even in the text of our scriptures, we see what is, what's here. It's a gory picture. The idea is animals are split in half. When you go through this covenant ceremony, you're basically saying, let it be done to me as to these animals should I break my covenant promise. May I also be split in half and, and treated like these animals that we're walking between. So it shows you the significance of what's being taken place here, that this is binding. This is not something that you would ever go against because of the consequence. It's serious in nature. So Abram arranges it all, and he waits. He arranges the elements of the covenant ceremony, and he waits. And he does what is right in verse 11. When real life happens, these birds of prey, these vultures, they come in and they want to tear apart what, what God has commanded Abram to set up. Abram's waiting, and he drives them away. He does what's right, and we need to be watchful of that too, church. There's times when we're waiting, and we know the enemy's trying to pick away at what God is telling us to do, and we need to be vigilant. Abram was vigilant just driving away those birds. He had arranged the elements. He protected it. And that's pretty much the extent of what Abram gets to do. Because the Lord works in his mysterious way. The Lord comes. And in the remaining verses of the chapter, Abram is in a position of observation. So even though this is set up for both parties to walk through, we see how God works. And it's different than what Abram had in mind. In verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So he's done everything. He set it up. And this is what happens now to Abram. Deep sleep, darkness. It's reiterated in verse 17 that the sun has gone down. Now, as I was looking at this, it reminded me very much of when Jesus was hanging on the cross in Matthew's gospel. Darkness comes upon the land in chapter 27 of Matthew. The earth shakes, rocks split open. There's dreadfulness and awe fills the people that are present. Similarly, when Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 is brought before the, the Lord and given that vision before the throne room of God, all he can do is Say, woe is me because of the dread of being before the Lord. So even though everything is set up for these two parties to walk between, to commit themselves to the covenant, the Lord takes over. He takes the lead. It was his all along, but he takes the lead. In a manner that is truly gracious, he takes the lead in a most obvious and helpful way as Abram is overcome with this dreadful darkness. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 as we see what happens as Abram is in this state. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." Sounds much like Egypt. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back. Your offspring shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So as the Lord is revealing himself in this state where Abram sidelined in a place of dread... He's prophesying. God is prophesying about what is going to happen. He's giving some, some structure to the timeline of how he's going to work. And Abram's got to be thinking, well, this is going to take a little longer than I expected. But God is going to be at work. And if you think about it, 
We don't get a lot uh, beyond Genesis. People of Israel go into, into, into Egypt, and they're there for 400 years. I have to believe they would hang on to this promise because they don't have a whole lot to go on when they're people in, they're in Egypt other than, remember our father Abraham said 400 years. And God answered that. He fulfills that promise perfectly. And also in this, the Lord reveals how he works justice. I mean, we see that the, the place that they're going to go, they're going to be afflicted. So the Egyptians are going to afflict the Israelites. And then the Amorites, the people, that's all the Canaanite peoples, where Abram's currently living, their iniquity is not quite to its fullness. And God is going to use his people to bring about his justice against both of those nations and his perfect timing. As an aside, I don't know if this happens to you much, but when I'm engaging someone who's not of the Christian faith, a lot of times those conquests of the land, that's where people really struggle. Like, how could God wipe out another people group? This is one area where you see their iniquity was building. And if you go to Jonah and you see that the Ninevites were given an opportunity to repent, and when they did, God relented. And I believe God would do that with any people group. Given the opportunity to relent or to repent, God would relent. This puts Joshua's conquest of the land in a more helpful perspective. All of these words that the Lord speaks are extremely helpful to the meta narrative, the big overarching storyline of Scripture. Prophecy is spoken. God speaks, and He continues to reveal even more. I'll just read verses 17 and part of 18. When the sun has gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. And then he goes on to describe the boundaries of the land. So here we see God show up, a fire pot and a torch. Reminds me of Exodus, when the Lord goes before the people in Exodus 13 as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Again, in Exodus 19, when the Lord descends upon Mount Sinai in fire and in smoke, it says there that the smoke went up from Sinai like a kiln And the whole mountain trembled violently. God shows up in this place. And this, my dear friends, is Almighty God at work. This is where He is at work in this passage. He is tender, He is merciful, while being dreadful and downright terrifying at the same time. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants a close relationship with you, just as he wanted a close relationship with Abram. He's never far away. He's ready to engage in conversation all the time. He initiated conversation with Abram in the beginning of our passage, and he welcomed Abram's speaking directly back to him. Even his doubts and his fears, he welcomed that. He engaged with Abram at that place. And the Lord leads us in this manner, drawing us closer to him, So that as he speaks through his word, we recognize it for the truth that it is. And we put our faith further and further in the word of truth, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amazingly, here at the end of the passage, we see that it wasn't Abram that went through the halves of the animals. It was the Lord who bound himself to the covenant. Abram appears to be off to the side in a place where he cannot move, but he's aware of the Lord's presence, the fire pot and the torch, and he sees them passing between the animals. And it's our gracious heavenly father who bound himself to the covenant, knowing that no human is able to uphold our, our deal with God. We always fail. But praise be to God, he never does. 
if we were to go through such a, a ceremony with the Lord, we'd be subjected to the harshness of that judgment. But instead, we know that he has taken the lead and he's offered his son as the perfect sacrifice, taking our sin upon himself. And we see this play out, this perfect plan of redemption, even here in the early stages of our Bibles, in the, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 15, that God is concerned about redemption and he works, he shakes heaven and earth to make sure redemption comes about, to bring justice upon the iniquity of the Amorites. God's timing is always perfect and he promises Abram to ha- that he will have offspring. Abram believes him. It's credited to him, credited to him as righteousness, counted to him as righteousness. So he believed God's promises and he continues to do that. Although we'll see even next week, he does things that maybe aren't in line with what God would want him to do, like all of us tend to do as sinful humans. But here at the end of this passage, Abram was in a place where he could do nothing other than watch God take the lead. And this is why From this passage, I urge you, I urge you, brother, and I urge you, sister, and I urge you, young and old, to realize that we get to converse with God. His desire is for us. And your belief in him will yield a righteous reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we sit back and just consider how you work We're amazed. In our flesh, God, we want to grab a hold. We want to get out of that place of dread that Abram was in and say, God, we can can come alongside you. We can shoulder the load. But you know so much better than us. You always have. You always will. So you provided the perfect one. You provided your son to pick up the load that we could never carry. So God, we thank you for the blood of Christ the perfect redemption that comes about through faith in Christ is our petition and our cry that we would cling to you more and more as these uncertain times are upon us, that we would converse with you, that we would come to you with our anxieties and our fears, that we would ask you to be gentle with us like you were with Abram and to converse with us in a way that we can understand what you're doing and that our faith can grow. Lord, we thank you for the covenant promises we find in Scripture, that we can return to them again and again and see how you are faithful to your word. Join us here, Heavenly Father, as we come before the table together as a family, proclaiming this most important truth of faith in Christ, the Redeemer of our souls. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.